0: Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E.
1: You know, the pandemic has been really tough, but you know what? The two years before the pandemic are tough, and the two years before that were tough, and the two years before that were tough. And what happens is educators have shown the world how to lead, how to teach, how to do things. They've been on the front lines. They are the ones making the difference. And they're showing that. And they do it by accepting responsibility. How many politicians have worked to avoid responsibility? Mm. I'm not responsible. We'll let local people make the decision. We'll do this. The great teachers do that. The great teachers are, accept responsibility for their class. And, and we've shown the world how to do this stuff. And it, it's really powerful. And I want to thank them.
2: Welcome back to the podcast, Big Ideas in Small Windows. I'm delighted to have Dr. Todd Whitaker back on. In this second episode, he talks about what distinguishes great teachers and how to help teachers become great. Jump in to listen to Dr. Whitaker in this engaging interview where we cover everything from managing difficult people to changing school culture, parenting daughters, and how teachers showed the world how to thrive in spite of a pandemic. You've talked a lot about how education and teaching is the most valuable profession.
1: Oh, right, sure. They they affect so many other, you know, They affect all the other professions. And and, and the other thing that we found out during the pandemic, when when we mentioned that everybody got to teach and it turns out it's a lot harder than people thought, you know, Mm -hmm. great teachers weren't born to teach. They were born with more gifts than the rest of us. And we're blessed. They apply them to teaching Mm -hmm. because they can apply them to anything. They could become a realtor. They could manage McDonald's. And if they'd be the best realtor in your city, they'd be the best McDonald's in the county because it's the same skill set. And what we have to do is we have to teach everyone how to become like that best teacher. And we can do it. I promise we can do it. But we've got to understand what it is they do and then teach other people how to do that. And people will not resist if you teach them in a way in which they can accept
2: that goes back to what we said about sending a great teacher to a workshop and knowing that they'll come back and make that opportunity better
1: for your school. Sure. And they view the world as an unlimited sum game. They want everyone to be successful. And average people view the world as a limited sum game where they don't want to share their secrets because that's the only gift they feel like they have. And great teachers, you know what they always think? Well, you can have this and everyone can be successful. And there's more where that came from and more where that came from. And there's more where that came from. And that's why they're willing to share. And we have to understand that they're willing to share their gifts. And actually, they you know what? They'd like to share their gifts.
2: Yeah, they just need the form. And if right. we, we cloud it by, I've heard you use the term loser support group before. If that small minority group gets too much power, we're really suffocating the, the really good intention majority people.
1: Right. And you mentioned new teachers. The very best thing you can do is link up your new teachers and your best teachers. And again, it's, it's, it's leader. Everything's leadership. So keep that in mind, but let's pretend a school has mentors. Okay. Like you get a new teacher and they get assigned a mentor. Do you know what word describes how most mentors are assigned? Compliance, I would think, or something like that. Convenience. Convenience. Who's at the same grade level, the same hallway, the same passing time, the same gender, the same age, the same sex. They both coach or they both don't coach. I mean, whatever it is, convenience. And when I assign a new teacher, who's a sponge, when I assign a new teacher a mentor, what am I telling them I hope at the pinnacle of your career you become? The mentor. So if I put them with someone average, what am I telling them I hope they become? Average like that mentor. And if I put them with somebody exemplary, what am I telling them I hope they become? The sky's the limit. And, And think about the same way with student teachers. If you do not assign student teachers to a great teacher, you potentially hamper their entire career. Because if they're, if you take an average student teacher, I'm not talking about one that's ultra skilled, one at the 90th percent, I'm talking about one that's the 26th percentile. So in you know the bottom quartile, if you take an average student teacher and put them with your best teacher, the best teacher in the school, in one week, who do they start to talk like? The best teacher. And in two weeks, who do they start to dress like? The best teacher. And in three weeks, who do they start to teach like? The best. And you know what makes it so critical? Do you know who they still talk like in one year, dress like in two years, and teach like in three years? And if you give them to an average teacher, do you know who they talk like, teach like? And then you know what the principals say? What's wrong with that university?
2: <laughs> it's like that poem and, that I've seen you cite where we blame the grade below and the year and the- Oh, right. Yes. Below. The
1: passing the buck. Right. Yes. No, it's that same thing. And and think about this. Where's the teacher shortage? I want student teachers in my school. And you know how I get them? I tell the universities or colleges or whoever's in my area, give me a student teacher and I'll only put them with great teachers. The student teacher supervisors, what do they think about the fact this person's going to get a great teacher? They're excited. It makes their job so much easier. It's unbelievable. All of a sudden they're funneling me, all these student teachers. And guess who now gets to cherry pick student teachers? A great they system. get to see what my school's like, what my environment's like. They've already got a buddy that's one of the best teachers in the school. I, my recruiting is so easy now. Because you know what they're thinking? This is a school I'd like to be in. I've, I've observed in some other schools, but this is the school I want to be in. And that's how leaders do things. And average leaders, it all happens randomly.
2: Yeah, you've talked about random before. Why do great teachers not do anything randomly?
1: Right. Now, remember, they pretend it's random. Right. We could think it's, it looks random, but it's. But there's intentionalness infused in everything they did. Well, the example I just gave when I get new teachers and then assign their mentors, I pretend it's random. So let's pretend I have, let's say I'm in an elementary school and I have a second grade teacher and the other second grade teacher is no good. And normally we'd give them to the no good second grade teacher. And then, you know what our grade level is going to be? No good. And so what I do is instead I go to that other second grade teacher and I go, do you ever get kids that you feel like aren't prepared for second grade? What does the worst teacher say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All the time. They're never prepared for second grade. Never. You know what we might do with a new teacher, new teacher. They could like be a spy. And I could assign them to a first grade teacher. And they could figure out what the first grade teacher is doing. And that might be helpful. What does the second grade teacher think of that? They're also thinking, yeah, that'd be good. Assign them to that first grade teacher. <laughs> Assign them to them. Yeah. And now I, they, don't, they didn't do it against them. They think I did it for them. They think I'm showing support for them. And, and then what happens is then they're, not, then they're not trying to backstab that second grade teacher because they have a, a teacher that's at a different grade level or a different department. You know, the same way at the secondary level, it might be, say, science and they're not very good. That science department is not good. There's nobody I really want to pair them up with. It's just a weaker department. So I put them with English, but I go to the science people and I go, you know, we've been talking about doing some cross-curricular things. What if we start with the new teacher doing the cross-curricular things? Because you guys are already really busy anyhow and your plates are full. What if I had the new teacher maybe explore this cross-curricular thing? would they like the new teacher to be the one that's the guinea pig or do they want to volunteer to be the guinea pig? (laughs) They'd love the new teacher to do it. And I go, you know what? So how about if I pair him or her, whoever the new person is with one of the people in language arts? So maybe they could do the cross-curricular and and then then maybe that would kind of protect you all from having to start doing the cross-curricular yet. So they see me as a hero. They see that teacher as a hero. And I've explained to them in a way that causes them to not be resentful that I've given the new teacher to a language arts They're glad I gave them to a language arts person, but I'm only gonna give them to a great language arts person. thats I mean, that's the whole point of it. (laughs) That was the whole plan.
2: Again, delivery and tone, how we carry that message across matters so much. Speaking of that, I wanna switch gears for a minute and ask you a little bit about parents. I use something that I learned from your book, dealing with difficult parents and parents in difficult situations. And it has stood the test of time. It is this simple, I will never speak to you like that and I will never speak to your child like that. Why do you think that's
1: stood the test of time and how does that work? One of the things, if we really wanna make a difference, we have to move from logic to emotion. Logic works with logical people. Logic doesn't work with emotional people. Logic works with 90% of the people. But we're not afraid of the 90% of the people. We're very, we're concerned about the the fringe people. And I think it's also tone and manner related to saying, here's how I say it, please don't talk to me like that.
2: I will never talk to you like that.
1: And I will never talk to your son like that. So please don't talk to me like that. That's emotional. And most people, if you don't understand tone and manner, and this is why my books are so specific, most people say, I say that because I had a parent the other day and I said, you better stop talking to me like that. And I said, you know, that's that's really not the same thing as please don't talk to me like that. I will never talk to you like that. And I will never talk to your son like that. That is such, a, it's really hard because what happens, most negative people are, are counter punchers. And they operate off of your energy. And if you notice, I really had no energy. And I'm asking them, I'm not telling them. I'm asking them. And they have to just generate all the ugliness themselves. But if I said, you'd better stop talking to me like this, I have given them so much energy. A friend of mine is one of the fighters that's on TV. Is it UCF? What's the, the fighting thing that, that of, kind
2: of uh, UFC?
1: UFC. That's what it is. Yeah. And, it, and it's really funny. Because he, he's good. He's been on TV and stuff, and he's really good. And he told me, I'm not great at anything. But the reason I can be competitive is because I never deal in their strengths. He's a former wrestler and boxer, but he was a, he won state in wrestling, but as a small state. He was a gold gloves boxer, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't a significant state. And I'm not putting that down. I don't mean that's not cool. And he goes, and I'll, I'll fight somebody. And if they're a phenomenal boxer, I promise they're a better boxer than me. So I wrestle. If they're an incredible wrestler, I promise they're a better wrestler than me. So I box. And that's that same way with the parents. When you have a parent that wants to attack, that, that, that is an attack dog, you can't be the attack dog. You cannot give them energy because they thrive on that energy. And now I'm in their bailiwick. I'm in their strength. They want me to box. They want me to fight. They, that's their strength. And that's what comes stuff like sidling up and making sure you sit right next to them takes away their comfort zone. But you have to be so nice when you do it and you act like it's coincidence you're sitting next to them instead of sitting across from them.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it, it goes right back to shifting the monkey, doesn't it?
1: All right, yes, that's, that's what it is. Shift away, yeah. baby.
2: <laughs> and you sort of touched on this earlier. I remember once hearing you say in a presentation, someone asked you, who should I sit closer to in a conversation between a difficult teacher and a difficult parent? And your answer was, who's more difficult?
1: Right. Whoever's worse. <laughs> right. Whoever's worse. Because who do I want to take the power away from? And sometimes you can't tell. And so you go, is it OK if I lay across your laps?" <laughs> but the other thing to understand is the reason, because superstars can never be perceived as the leader's pet, but they'd better be the leader's pet. Because if they're perceived as the leader's pet, they lose credibility among the rest of the faculty. Georgia Humphreys was one of my phenomenal teachers. Do you know why nobody ever thought she was Todd Whitaker's pet? Because Todd Whitaker never sits next to Georgia Humphreys. I always sit next to the worst person, the most negative person. If you have a rectangular table and you're the leader of the group, informal or formal, it doesn't matter. This could be a department chair. This could just be a group of teachers, but one teacher's informally leading the group. If you put your stuff at the end of the table, the negative people sit at the other end or against the wall. I never put my stuff down. I let everybody else squeeze in wherever they need to. And I sit next to the worst person, the most negative person. And I go, isn't it neat? I thought we'd have a legalist group today. And by me just sitting next to them, it takes away their power. It raises their discomfort level. And it empowers the other people who are sitting on the other side of the room or wherever they're sitting. It's like a church. I sit next to the most negative person at church. And everybody else runs from the most negative person at church. And it's just, it just diffuses them. It takes away their power. They can't, and, and I'm a nobody. I work at a college. If I have a meeting at a college, I sit next to whoever the most negative faculty member is. And it's weird. They talk less. They share less. They're less interruptive. They pretend to be more engaged. And I'm nobody. I'm not their supervisor. I'm literally below them, but just sitting next to them. I I travel a lot. And if I have a customer like yelling at the desk clerk at a hotel, and I'm not talking about discussing a concern. I'm talking about mistreating them. I literally go up and put my arm around them. And I go, hey, how's everything going today? You having a good day? And I know I'm being smart. I look, if you hear what I say, I can give you the language. But it's just, it's amazing how that's diffusing because everyone else gives them a swath and I take away their swath. And I'm always nice and kind. Hey, how are you doing today? you doing right? I like your tie. That's good looking. You know, whatever this is. And that's important in terms of the intentionality of doing that.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I see this happen so often. People give negative
1: people space and that gives them power. Right. It also then causes everybody else to be afraid of that person too. Most of the time in a school, you know, in the absence of leadership, everybody fills the void and it's almost always the strong negative personalities that do the best job of filling a void when there's a leadership void. And the teachers are afraid of this teacher because the principal's afraid of this teacher. And, and I, you know, it's really funny. My first book was dealing with difficult teachers And I never raise my voice. I never, because what happens is that empowers them. Then I'm boxing a boxer and wrestling a wrestler. But instead being kind, being personable, sidling up, being in their classroom on a regular basis and treating people as if they were good. Good people like it and bad people don't. And what happens is most of the time we treat people as if they were bad. And the problem is bad people like it and good people don't. A blanket monkey is treating everyone as if they were bad. And if I have an expectation of my teachers in which I talk to them about before a kid gets sent to the office for nickel and dime repetitive behavior, call the parent and ask for their help. We can all do this. And what happens is we need to know then what do I do with the teacher who's not going to do it? So I get an office referral from a teacher that says Jimmy has not brought a pencil to class six times, which is that I use this example because it is literally the stupidest example in the world. (laughs) And it's true. And so I go to the teacher, the negative teacher. I have the referral. Even if they emailed it, I print it off or I take my phone, whatever I need to. I sidle up next to them. They send a kid to the office for not bringing a pencil to class. How would I treat them as if they were good? Guess what I say to the teacher.
2: I know this one. What did the parents say when you spoke to them?
1: What did the parents say when you called them? Their first decision is lie or tell the truth. And the very worst people almost always lie. And their lie could be, I called the parent, left a mess and they didn't call me back. Okay. Now, do you know what I say then?
2: Oh, I'm going to find out what, what, what's going on with that, that kid and that parent.
1: You know what most people would say if they said, what would you say if they said they called, left a message and didn't call me back? How about we call them together? How about we do this? I would never do that to my best teacher. My best teacher called, left a message, and the parent doesn't call them back. The best teacher has done their job. They've done their task. I'm not upset with the best teacher. I'm upset with the parent. So when the worst teacher says, I called, left a message, and they didn't call me back, you know what I say to them? Was that mom or dad or homework? I'm calling them right now. We don't put up with that in this school. If you take time out of your busy schedule, and you call a parent, and they do not call you back, I'm going to call them right now and give them a piece of my mind. If they're telling the truth, what do they think? Wow, he's really supporting me. Wow. And if they're lying, what do they think? I better run to a phone right now and call them. (laughs) I treat them as if they were good. And then I'm never worried if the faculty hears, if the faculty overhears it, I'm not worried about dealing with them in the hallway because the good people like it and the bad people don't. And you're getting and you're shifting that power over right, to the right exactly. side. You're That's taking great. it from this people and putting it to this people. And, and, and it's amazing how that changes the dynamic. If, if, the be- if the five best teachers in a school are the ones moving the school forward, and I don't mean in isolation, but if they're the ones moving the school forward, you're always going to have a better school you know, you're always going to have a better school. And if the five worst people are the ones keeping the school from moving forward, the only people that are going to leave are good people. Absolutely. And that's so important to to
2: make sure we take care of. So like you, I share in the joy of having two daughters. You also have a son. I don't want to exclude him. But we have the common trait of having two daughters. Mine are not yet adults. (laughs) Any advice or best parts you can share with me?
1: Well, we're all 13 years old for our entire life, so uh, keep that in mind. Don't over don't overestimate the value of adulthood. Um, I, I'm blessed. They luckily they take after their mom. Uh, they're they're phenomenal. It's really funny because they look like identical twins, and yet their personalities are completely different. They're both in education. I've written a couple books with them. I present with them. The only problem with me presenting with them now is they're so good, it hurts my feelings because a lot of times I feel like <laughs> I'm nothing but eye candy. Um, <laughs> And I think it's just, I don't know, I, I'm blessed. Uh, just interacting with them. I, I, I never try to prove who's in charge into anything, and I never have. Love them. And it's really, it, my first question would be, Do they like? are they at the age where they like each other? At times. <laughs> I understand that, yeah. My, my girls had a really tough year or two in middle school. Cause one was, there were only two grades apart. So one's in eighth grade, one's in sixth grade. The sixth grader is a better athlete, you know, and she got to be in the highest, whatever as sixth grade. And my other one didn't get to be in the highest, whatever till eighth grade. And, you know, and I remember they both played soccer and my eighth grader, uh, the, my oldest daughter wasn't particularly good at soccer, but her junior year got to be varsity. My youngest girl was varsity her freshman year. My senior girl was a defensive player in soccer so she's never going to score she'll never score a goal in her entire career my freshman daughter scores a goal in her very first game and I thought oh no and I look up and my junior daughter is sprinting the length of the field and hugs her sister
2: that's a moment
1: and I could cry with that and that just they just reached a point where all of a sudden we're not competing where we can rely on each other and yours will be like that too yeah, I see it
2: happening. And I see them forging this long term bond. And I always like to say that our work, our, our role in education is important, but it's the second most important thing. And the most important thing, of course, is, uh, is our family. And, right. uh, and so I, I get that totally. Right. Anything come to mind that you're working on right now, or you're thinking about working on in the upcoming future that my audience would be interested in hearing about?
1: Um, I don't know. They'd be interested, but, uh, I'm doing multiple, you know, new editions of multiple books. I have three kind of, uh, maybe four, I can't decide books. I'm doing one of them is called turning it around. And this isn't the lowest of the low. How do you turn around anything, including the lowest of the low, you know, we're here at this level and we'd like to improve that. And so turning around, I'm writing one, it's going to be called invest in your best. And the thing that's really close to my heart that's that's I'm doing solo is uh, how to get all teachers to be like the best teachers because in my mind that is the only solution to education and and every school in New Jersey Missouri where I'm at or anywhere you have at least one teacher that's cracked the Da Vinci code and we don't need to innovate something else we need to replicate we need to figure out what they're doing and teach the other teachers how to do it and we can do it I promise this is what I do all the time now when I go and work and I just see teachers that completely change their practice And I teach principals how to teach their teachers so that they can, in their schools, they can change their practice. Because none of us got into education to be average. None of us. None of us. We all got into education to be great. Maybe in other professions, we didn't care about great. But in education, we cared about being great. And so it's teaching that. And I think my wife and I would like to write a book on praise, understanding the power of praise or motivation or morale. I don't know exactly what we're going to call it. Maybe raise the praise. I think we'd like to do that because I think, I always say one of the most powerful gifts we can give is a well-placed compliment.
2: I went right to your reference to Bissell's work on that, uh, the five elements of praise. I mean, that's timeless right. to me. If right. anybody knows Bissell's work, they can go right back and look at that. To me, that that's another one of those things that stands the test of time. I think he right. wrote that back in the late 80s or early 90s, and yeah. it's still it's still current. It's still relevant. The first
1: edition was written in hieroglyphics. <laughs> And so I thought um, that was your
2: first book you said as a quill
1: quill and pen. We didn't have this. We didn't have this thing called the interweb back then. But I I try to never do the current thing because the current thing's gone. But the time, you know, your best teacher was great 20 years ago. And if they continue to teach, they're going to be great 20 years from now. And sure, they may change some things, but the core of them is the same. I had a teacher named Jean Rackers, a female Jean Rackers. She taught fifth grade for 37 years. Phenomenal teacher. And I asked her at what she started her 37th year. I said, Gene, how on earth do you put so much care and energy into your 37th year of teaching fifth grade? She goes, it's my 37th year of teaching them. And it's their first year of taking them. Wow. And it's that same thing, you know, and and of course she did some things different, but you know what? She really didn't. The core of her was the core of her. And that's what makes great people great. And you got to teach people want to be great. I think that's where we, we most miss the boat. They want to be great. You know, with, the, with dysfunctional people, the first thing we have to sort out is, are they ignorant or insubordinate? And we almost always think they're insubordinate. They're almost always ignorant, unaware. But if you teach people how to be great, if you teach them how to manage their classroom, if you teach them how to be effective and don't tell them, teach them, they will do it. They will do it. And you know what else? If your rest of the school does it except for them, they feel pretty lonely. And they've lost all ability to influence anyone.
2: That's a very liberating feeling then, right? It's empowering to say, oh. we, we,
1: we can give you this and you can run. Oh, you just, you want the good guys to be in charge. You need the good, great principals without exception. This is all research-based. Great principals without exception have faculty meetings teachers look forward to and value. Average principals either don't have faculty meetings or people don't look forward to and value them. And the minimum goal of every meeting, and my, I, I work with superintendents, the minimum goal of every central office meeting, the minimum goal of every faculty meeting is I need teachers to be more excited about teaching tomorrow than they were today. And we think we do it with YouTube clips. We think we do it with cupcakes and I like frosting. You know where we do it? Teaching them something specifically they can implement the next day in their classroom and they're more excited about teaching than they were today. And when we teach people this, I promise they will do it. I promise. And superintendents, if you have a meeting with principals, I've got to teach the principals something that will make them more excited to principal tomorrow than they did today. Because many times we have meetings at central office that literally we want to take a letter opener and stick it in our thigh to make sure we're still alive. And we can't do that to our teachers. Teachers can't do that to their students. The You know, great teachers every day, they want the kids to be more excited about learning tomorrow than they were today. Every day, they want the kids to be more excited about learning tomorrow than they were today. It
2: reminds me of when I go into a great teacher's classroom, and I do this when I'm having a bad day because it's quite therapeutic. I walk out of there smiling and feel you like there's something going on. that
1: You don't want to leave. No. You know, I go in a teacher's classroom that's reading to the kids, and I don't want to leave because I want to know what happens to ricky ticky Taffy. You know, I mean, it's, it's you don't want to leave. And you know what? Neither do the kids. It's funny. During the pandemic, people were saying, how do I motivate my teachers when we're all virtual? And I said, the same thing you do with in person, only you're going to call them and you're going to call the best teacher. And you know what you're going to say? Because everybody's virtual. You know what you're going to say to the best teacher? Do you know what I miss most about us being in person? You. I miss kids walking into your room and seeing your big smile as you welcome them. I miss seeing them smile as they come in your room. I miss being in the lunchroom and three kids going, who do you have next? And one of the kids says your name and the other two kids go jealous. (laughs) I miss being out at recess and the kids keep coming up to me and saying, how much longer is recess? And I go, why do you keep asking? They go, I want to get back to class (laughs) because we're doing something of value. I miss you. How does that make people feel? See, you lead through emotion, you don't just lead through logic. And it's funny, I used to be a principal for years and people will go, Todd, do you miss being a principal? I go, terribly, I I love being a principal. And they go, I bet you miss the students. And I go, you know, you'd think so? But they'd be gone, they'd be gone. You know who I miss? The teachers. Somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, Todd, how does a principal take care of the students? And I go, I don't have the slightest idea. All I know is principal needs to take care of the teachers. Because then the teachers will take care of the students. And that's what we have to do. And the superintendents have to take care of the principals. And it can't be at the expense of anyone else. I'm not talking about that. They have to. They have to. Because the principals have to take care of the teachers and the teachers have to, you know, what your school really is, it's the teachers. That's what it is. It's the teachers. You got two ways to improve your school. Hire better teachers and improve the ones you have. And that's all I can think of.
2: Yeah, and... For someone who's been in probably over a thousand schools by now, I bet you could tell me that you could walk into any school and instantly feel the tone, know if that's a well-led school or a well-taught school.
1: Sure, you can feel the climate instantly. You can also—it's really funny because one of the things I do at times is I go into school into schools and I go into every teacher's classroom in the school and give them immediate, non-judgmental, non-evaluative feedback. And you cannot believe how easy that is to do that and i'm not evaluating i'm not writing i'm not reporting to the principal because i'm not they don't they're not going to trust me then just non-judgmental non-evaluative feedback and that is so you walk in and you can just tell that's how come the best teacher has great kids every year and the worst teacher has the worst group of kids every year because it's the same thing what that person does as an adult and and what happens is though great teachers compare themselves to perfection so they feel like this class is a little tiny bit different than last class and different, but they still, it, it, but their class this year looks and feels like their class last year. And the worst teacher's class this year looks and feels like the class they had last year. And average teachers look and feel like my last book that just came out was called uh, Leveraging the Impact of Culture and Climate. But for the first time, we talked about deep, significant, and lasting change in classrooms and schools, talking about a classroom culture and a classroom climate. And how they are so similar because the main variable is the leader, just like in a school. You know, if a principal leaves this school and has been there for five years, say, and they go to a new school, in five years, the new school is going to feel a lot like the last school. Regardless. Right. Whether it was good or bad, it's going to feel like it regardless. It's just transferring the skills. Right. Sure. And it's, you know, when the principal sneezes, the whole school catches a cold. When the teacher sneezes, the whole class catches a cold. And, um, and that's a company you got to hire right because they're going to carry that same skill set, school to school to school, or classroom to classroom to classroom.
2: A lot of power in that. A lot of power in that. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I had or something you'd
1: just like to add to share with my audience? Uh, well, remember the camera adds 10 pounds and I got seven cameras on me. <laughs> As a former math teacher, I can explain what that means if you need it. The only thing I want to just share is just thank the audience. You know, the pandemic has been really tough, but you know what? The two years before the pandemic are tough and the two years before that were tough and the two years before that were tough. And what happens is educators have shown the world how to lead, how to teach, how to do things. They've been on the front lines. They are the ones making the difference and they're showing that and they do it by accepting responsibility. How many politicians have worked to not to avoid responsibility? Mm. I'm not responsible. We'll let local people make the decision. We'll do this. And, and the great leaders have to do that. The great teachers do that. The great teachers are, accept responsibility for their class. And, and we've shown the world how to do this stuff. And it, it's really powerful. And I want to thank them. What the pandemic really did was it really exposed us all. The great teachers went virtual and they figured it out. Mm. The ineffective people went virtual and they didn't figure it out. And when we came back, the great teachers are still great and the poor teachers are still poor. The great leaders... I, I, I always say this, people always look to leaders, but during times of crisis, they stare. And if you were not effective when the hit the pandemic hit, you can't survive it. I mean, it's just going to cost too you much. May, you may keep your job, but I mean, it's going to cost too much dysfunction. But if you have all of these things built into place, it's not going to be an easy ride. But you're going to come out of there as strong or stronger because you've survived a tougher time than the regular time, thus The group's potentially more coherent, feels better together, and um, have that opportunity. But that's what the great people have done. And I just appreciate it. What, What we do is hard. It's really hard. And I appreciate your dedication, your caring. You know, I've said a million times, the best thing about teaching is it matters. And the hardest thing about teaching is it matters every day. And I appreciate people doing what they do every day because the kids deserve it. And that's why we got into education anyhow. And just thank you for making a difference. It's a, it's a blessing in every one of your schools, classrooms, and communities. Thank you. I concur,
2: and I love the way that you characterized the great teachers came back with even more ideas out sure. of quarantine, and they're applying some of that in a, in a more consolidated or compounded way, and it's, it's just a great example of how they took something that was a challenge, and you know, Winston Churchill once said, never waste a good crisis.
1: And right. Great teachers
2: don't waste a good crisis.
1: And so do the great leaders. Thank you. you We're know, thinking about all sorts of things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Again, my pleasure, Dr. Todd Whitaker. Thank your wife for letting me steal you for over an hour. I appreciate it. And I think this is going to be a great experience for people to learn and delve into so much of what sustains in your work. And, and that was the key there because your books keep getting, as you said, new editions, And there's a little bit of a tweak, but really the foundation's there because that's what sticks. That's what works. So thanks to you as well
1: leadership's not an event teacher's not an event it's not an event if anybody and i'm nobody and i know that if anybody ever wants to visit ever wants to chat feels like they have a challenging situation they can contact me my website's toddwhittaker.com and sadly i don't have any people so you're stuck with me but my contact information's on there and obviously twitter they can get it get a hold of me at at And I hear from people like I've got like four conversations tomorrow with people who just want to reach out and talk about a challenging situation or something they're struggling with. Or how can I get better at this? And uh, that's a way for me to validate whether I have any ideas what I'm doing or not. So reach out anytime because all I want to do is make a difference. I write books to make a difference. That's it.
2: Appreciate that. And I'll put the links to those and anywhere else they can reach you or those were the two main sources.
1: I've got a Hy-Vee grocery store near me and I tend to hang out in the donut aisle every Sunday morning. <laughs> so that's a crack. And also I, I, I keep my swimming pool open all year. <laughs> okay, I mean, great. Now we got four. Out, yeah. I swam in it this morning. So anytime at about 5, 5.30, heated. they want to come. Uh, the there's a heater's on, but it's not very hot. Uh, but but uh, come and join me. I'd welcome the company. It'll definitely wake everybody up. So thanks so much. <laughs> my pleasure, it's truly a treat, and I'm honored and thanks everybody what you do you're you're amazing. you you all are truly amazing. Thank you
2: I hope you enjoyed our return episode with Dr. Todd Whitaker. Join us next week for an interview with ASCD author and national speaker Tom Murray. We'll see you next time.
0: Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com slash
2: B-E.